Welcome to Giving Forward, a podcast from the Community Foundation for Northeast Florida. I'm the Foundation's president, and I'm your host, Nina Waters. Each episode, we're taking you behind the scenes, sharing the real stories of philanthropists and nonprofits that have shaped our community here in Northeast Florida. Today, I'm talking with Rachel Tutwiler-Fortune. I first met Rachel about 13 years ago. Back then, she was working with the Jacksonville Public Education Fund. Rachel grew up here and graduated from the University of North Florida and Stanford University, where she earned her master's degree. She's worked with the U.S. Department of Education and came back home to serve our community. I can't wait for you to hear our stories, including one about the petite and powerful businesswoman who taught me how to lead in a male-dominated town. Hello, Rachel. Thanks so much for being here with me today. That's my pleasure. We're going to kind of go back in the past a little bit when we first met, and you were the community engagement manager at JPEF, and we were in the same building mm-hmm. sharing space with JPEF for um, several, five years, and it was a wonderful experience. We got to see a lot of each other. Yes. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about what was going on in your life then and in your career. Well, when I first came to the Jacksonville Public Education Fund, I was transitioning out of my classroom as a second and third grade teacher um, at S.B. Livingston, which is actually right around the corner from where my grandmother grew up. And um, I had the privilege of teaching there for a couple of years and just absolutely loved and adored my students. That teaching assignment felt especially personal, just given my family's connection to the community. Right. And so, um, you know, just having um, that experience, it was not an easy transition or easy decision, I should say, to transition out of the classroom. Um, But I actually met my predecessor in the classroom. Um, and, you know, we began some conversations. He had just moved to Jacksonville and um, was serving as the founding president of JPEF and um, really started talking about just giving, you know, my connection to the community, both um, through those teaching years, but also in some earlier work I did as a student leader at UNF, how there might be um, some opportunities that would be, you know, a good fit for me at JPEF. Um, and so just made that difficult decision. I'll never forget crying on the carpet um, oh my, my last gosh. day teaching because I just love my students so much. I'm sure um, they loved you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just when I transitioned to DAPEF, having the opportunity to be our first community engagement staff lead um, and to really help lay the groundwork for our community engagement work long term. As a part of that work, one in three, um, the exhibition that really featured very powerful young people, those felt like my students outside of the classroom and their stories needed to be told. And also the people who participated in um, that foundational community engagement effort. We heard from 1,600 or um, people in Jacksonville and their voices needed to be included in the effort of defining where we should take our public schools um, as we move forward. Well, when we first met, um, (laughs) you were, of course, leading the Community Foundation for Northeast Florida. Um, The organization had already um, placed a huge stake in the ground on public education, initially through the Quality Education for All initiative. Why do you believe, you know, kind of traveling back in time again, um, our community needed um, a really strong local education fund? 
Great question. So part of the work we do at, did at the Community Foundation through QEA was a, a big listening and learning tour. We brought a lot of national speakers in to talk to us. And one thing we learned is that cities that were really making a change in public education and moving the needle in a positive direction had something that was called a local education fund, an LEF. And so we said, we really want a high-capacity local education fund here in Jacksonville. And the other thing is, to be honest, we were leading a 10-year education initiative. We didn't want to become the local education fund. Mm. We are a community foundation. Mm-hmm. And so it really was an exit strategy. How do we exit after 10 years and make sure this work continues? And creating a, a high-capacity LEF was important. And so we brought in the head of the public education network. She gave us the tools that we needed. And she said, you know, your role as a community foundation is to really get a strong governance system in place get the financing that they need for the first five years, and find the right leadership. We were able to stand up the Jacksonville Public Education Fund, new executive director, entirely new board, and we raised the money for the first five years of, of funding and gave it to the LEF and were able to get it stood up. And it's been an amazing journey <laughs> ever since. And I think it's one of the the pieces of work that I'm the proudest of that the Community Foundation was able to do because I think it's going to have the most long-standing impact mm-hmm. of anything we've done over the last 20 years. Well, well thank you. Clearly, we um, at JPEF are so just indebted for your commitment mm-hmm. um, and laying the groundwork for our existence and our ongoing um, pursuit of our mission. Well, thank you. So um, when we started the QEA work, one in three students was not graduating from high school. Their graduation rate was 51%. That was um, really a crisis uh, for our community. Mm -hmm. We're really proud of the progress we now see in that um, our graduation rate has been 86 plus percent over uh, recent years. And we're, you know, not satisfied with that progress, even though we're proud of it. We recognize we have even more work to do to make sure there's equitable access to excellent educational opportunities for every student. Talk a little bit more about some of the other gains and improvements you've seen. One of the things that um, I know we're proud of at JPEF is that in addition to improving the overall numbers, we've also seen gaps in um, student achievement based on subgroups narrowing over mm-hmm. that same time span. Um, another sort of just indicator of the progress we've made is also seeing those gaps narrow on what's called the National Assessment of Educational Progress. And so that's an assessment that really allows us to compare how Duval County is doing as compared to large urban districts across the country. Duval has performed, you know, comparably well to other large districts across the country. Um, So very, very proud of that progress. Um, We are always looking for what's the next frontier, where do we need to do better for our students? Mm -hmm. And as we focus on issues like addressing literacy disparities, addressing the teacher shortage, um, you know, improving and addressing the fact that we do have a mental health crisis coming out of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. those are the issues that we're laser focused on today. We've gone through this collective trauma and the pandemic was absolutely a setback. Let's look at the data, long-standing data that tells us where we have been successful over time. Mm -hmm. We do not need to forget what's working, and we need to stay the course on those things. As we do that, we also need to be thinking about where we want to innovate for our future. And so, you know, in order for us to identify those opportunities for innovation, we also have to, again, start. The best innovations, in my opinion, come um, based on some good work someone has already done, and we're building on it. I guess I'll say as far as um, kind of the next frontier is we Mm -hmm. saw, sadly, you know, the pandemic was a reminder for us all that 
um, you know, our young people who are most vulnerable and at highest risk. That's where the greatest challenge lied, especially it was like this is where the setback is happening amid the pandemic. And so it was just a very humbling reminder for us all, I believe, that we need to do a better job of resourcing communities and schools that especially need um, our support the most. So recently, the state of Florida is one of two states nationally that has stopped administering the Youth Risk Behavior Survey or the YRBS. Talk a little bit about what you think that means for our state and the students. Um, You know, as I uh, mentioned before, I find great value in our ability to compare how we're doing in our community and in our state against, you know, other places in the country. And so I can absolutely understand why. And and really, my heart goes out to those who felt personally impacted by the fact that we won't have that particular data set um, in our community anymore. I do understand the Florida Department of Education is developing a new assessment that is intended in some ways to Um, replace that for our state. And so we stand in a um, sort of um, anticipatory posture, just really waiting to see, you know, what the details of that are, what information it provides us, um, and just eager to see our community move forward because we cannot um, take a step back. We know that especially on the heels of COVID, young people are um, in a lot of pain. And um, mental health is a challenge that so many, not only kids, but adults um, are struggling with. And so we need to collect as much data as possible to really understand how we can best meet the needs of our young people in our communities. You know, I am I am very concerned about the fact that we aren't going to be administering that test, because I think part of the challenge for me is that we use that and then, and as funders and the nonprofit community used it to, to address programs. And I am worried, too, that we may lose funding as a result of it for some of the clinics that we have in the schools. Um, I was just reading about the reduction in the teen pregnancy rate in our, in our county, in Duval County. And really, because of the Youth Risk Behavior Survey, we were able to understand some of the behaviors that students were having, and we were able to put things into place as a, as a community to really help. And that's really reduced the rate. And so that's just one of the areas I think that is a very big concern for me Absolutely. moving forward. And also the teen suicide rate, as you talked about earlier, mental health is an extreme issue in our community for a lot of children. And not being able to understand some of the behaviors and the risks that children are taking, we don't really know how to provide services, you know, they're really going to meet those needs. So I'm hopeful, like you are, about about them redoing a test. Um, I just, um, I'm a little concerned that that the test really won't measure what we need to know. Absolutely. And I'll say on a very personal note, you know, as a person who was a teen mom, you know, I share, um, you know, those concerns. I think oftentimes um, we really um, are not collecting information that allows us to understand what young people um, are really struggling through and what supports Mm -hmm. they need to be successful. And so, um, you know, this is where we really do have to lean in and get it right. I agree. It's, It's a big concern. One of the things we've had a lot of great conversations about is the importance of building authentic relationships um, toward the end of really cultivating meaningful partnerships, including with donors. I think the most important thing with donors is trying to understand what is important to them, what makes them tick. And when you look back, we have all been so affected in one way or another our entire life by nonprofits. Mm -hmm. Whether you were born in a nonprofit hospital, you were in the Girl Scouts, you were... 
part of the YMCA, we've all been touched. And some people have had other things have happened where they've had to call in hospice or things like that. And so understanding really where people's passions are, I think, is the first step. And then finding ways that your organization can meet those passions. And then it really is relevant to them. I think that's really the biggest thing is trying to find those matches Mm -hmm. and understanding that not everybody's a match for your organization. And that makes sense too, but also helping them maybe find an organization that may be a match for them. And I think that they would appreciate it. So I think that's really the first step. And, And then the second thing I I think is really understanding that donors like you to keep in touch with them, Mm -hmm. not just when you're asking for money. Mm -hmm. And so there may be times that, you know, you're out somewhere and you see their name Mm -hmm. somewhere um, and you might just say, hey, thank you for giving the giraffe exhibit at the zoo. Mm -hmm. You know, I enjoyed that with my grandchildren today. I mean, so I think it's really having them be part of your life and then you're part of their life Mm -hmm. and building those trusting relationships. And it takes time. You know, people always talk about donor time. Mm -hmm. You know, we always think we can send a letter and they'll give us a gift. It's it's a relationship people give to people. That's right. It, I could actually say many donor stories or relationships that you've built, but tell me tell me one that one example for you that was that has been meaningful. Absolutely. Well, I mean for me building authentic relationships with donors starts with authentic listening and really just trying to understand how what you care about, what your mission is, really aligns with what they care about and what, you know, their um, sort of interest in making the world a better place uh, might be. Um, I was just with um, our dear friend, um, Cindy Edelman, last night, um, who I've had a longstanding relationship with, and that she was um, our second board chair and a founder of JPEF, and I had the privilege of working closely with her on the one-by-one campaign that we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, but now we also have the Edelman Fellowship for Excellence in Education um, at, at JPEF. And, um, you know, I'm just so appreciative of the relationship that I have with Cindy. You know, we... Um, I, I just had a daughter, as you know, my third and um, grand finale, my final child. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it meant the world to me that, you know, uh, Cindy was kind enough to send her a gift, you know, and that's just one of those examples of how beyond the work, you yes. know, we're just a part of each other's lives. We'll grab lunch just to catch up, just to see, you know, how um, our families are doing, um, sending, you know, personal notes when special things are happening. So if I see her being recognized, I want her to know, you know, I see um, I see that. I'm so grateful for the difference she makes in our community. I had the privilege of coming over actually to the Community Foundation building recently for a talk that she did on art. And it was amazing. Yeah. Right. So it's not in our education domain, but um, this is a passion area of hers. And she's so amazing. And I learned so much just by attending that talk. Yeah. Um, so we're in each other's lives. Yeah, and that's really important. It really is. And that and that helps to build trust, too, because I think when donors trust you and you trust them, you can have that authentic relationship and you can have honest conversations. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's critically important. That's terrific. Well, um... As one of the people that, you know, certainly um, is standing on on your shoulders in the community, you just invested so much in the sector. Um, Way back when, you know, you were the executive director of PACE. Um, You've had uh, the opportunity to um, serve and invest in our community in so so many ways. Can you maybe talk just a little bit about some of the people who invested in you, um, the difference they made in your life, and, and really, you know, 
some of the ways and what it's meant for you to sort of invest in the next generation coming behind you? So in this field, I've had so many people since I entered the nonprofit sector that have been important to me, and it's hard to call names. (laughs) But there's a couple, you know, that really stand out for me. I think at Pace, there was a woman named Mildred Thompson, and she was the founder of Dandy Foods. Mm. And she came here in the 50s and started that company on her own. And just think about being a woman in the 50s, starting your own company. Can't imagine. She started out of the trunk of her car, mm. and then she built it into an amazing business, and it's been really successful. She was about four feet ten, probably, and she was, when I got to know her, she was probably in her 70s, mm. late 70s, and she was never taken seriously by by people when we went into rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'd go into rooms with business people and know we're really really ever noticed her, but she was she had this quiet mm-hmm. strength. So she was kind of like a steel magnolia. And I spent years watching her, mm-hmm. watching how she was in meetings, watching how she carried herself and how she was always able to get her way in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always thought that was so interesting. And so we were in a meeting with a really contentious meeting um, with a group of people when we were building the Pace Building. Hmm. And by then, she was probably in her 80s. And we walked out of the meeting, and I said, Mildred, how do you stay so calm in these meetings? And she was so incredible. And and she looked at me, and she said, well, she said, Nina, I sit, and I listen, and I nod my head, (laughs) and I tell everybody what it is they want to hear. And I walk out, and I do whatever the heck I want to do because I know that's the right thing Mm. to do. And it really helped me to be able to say, Mm. okay, you know, you can – you can do this, yep. and, and you can make things happen. And and so there are so many times in my life and in my career where I kind of call on her. She's she's kind of my what would Mildred do mm-hmm. person, you know, and she's still – she's passed away many years ago, mm-hmm. but she still is so much with me. Um, and I think that was a really – she was a really good – teacher for me. And and the second one is when I came to the Community Foundation, mm. um, Dolores Weaver. Yes. You know, I think everyone knows that we're close and we've known each other for a long time. And um, she has taught me more about philanthropy than I could ever mm. help her with. I mean, all of the ways that she gets people to give. And, and the most important thing I think she taught me was when she was younger mm-hmm. and when she and Wayne didn't have the wealth that they have now because they really did have a very humble beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, she said no one ever asked her for money and she did have money she could have given. And mm-hmm. so she never knew the joy of giving then mm-hmm. because no one ever asked her to give and no one ever thought she could. And so a lot of her giving, as you know, mm-hmm. is to try to say to everyone, you know, try philanthropy, you know, Philanthropy's definition is love of humankind, yes. you know, and everybody wants to be, you know, involved in that. And you get so much from it. And so she's taught me a lot about really what you have to give and how you give and why it's important. And it's just been an amazing relationship and mentorship with her. So those are just two women that have really, uh, really changed my life. Mm. So you and I have had a conversation many times about the fact that the Community Foundation and JPEF are not direct service providers. Mm -hmm. And so it is hard when you're kind of an umbrella organization like us, not serving individual people, to get donors to understand why it's important to give to you Mm. and to give to your work. So talk a little bit about that and how you overcome that. How do you sell 
the the work of JPEF to others. Absolutely. No, and I love that that phrase umbrella. You know, um, it's easier probably to sell, you know, direct service, you know, mentoring or, you know, I provide X number of teachers. Um, But, you know, equally as important is um, having community infrastructure. Um, we have the privilege at JPEF of providing research, of convening the community around critical issues, of advocating for issues that will shape the future of public education in our community. And, you know, it is, it's, it's an honor to do this work. It's important for people to understand that, you know, absent that, we don't have as many robust conversations that are grounded in data. We don't have our community really coming together to talk about our shared values and what we aspire to creating and what we commit to creating for the future. We're not able to sort of look back long term, as you and I did in this conversation, and think about the progress we've made and why we've made that progress Mm -hmm. and where we need to stay the course. And I think it's a never more urgent time for us to really sort of lean into the value proposition of that work. We absolutely Um, believe in that. And a lot of people ask me during the last 20 years, you know, we have helped to raise money for specific organizations. And of course, we get asked all the time, why do you do that for this organization? You don't do it for that. And I think what we've really or what what we've tried to do is say we do need that infrastructure. Mm -hmm. We and and there are places we have not had it. Um, And we have made investments. And that's where we've chosen to say, how can we pull donors together Mm -hmm. to create a a funding strategy to get Mm -hmm. these things capitalized in a way that they have the capacity to do this important work? And in a lot of cases, but for a nonprofit center or um, LISC, the community foundation would be looking at doing that work. And we don't run programs. Mm-hmm. We fund programs, mm-hmm. but we have to be really careful to not to not run them because we aren't qualified to do it, first of all. And we should be funding those things. We shouldn't be taking money out of the sector to be doing that work ourselves. No, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And I just think that, um, you know, our community is, in, is embarking upon a lot of change right now. You know, and we it's are. important that, you know, um, all the people who are coming, all the people, you know, who will continue to help guide decision making, understand the value um, that these organizations provide. Well, you know, Nina, oh, my gosh, I know that um, I speak for a lot of people. We cannot believe we're excited for your season of retirement, but we can't believe it. But you have so much to be proud of. And I, I hope you know that we're so grateful for the service you provided our community. What is it that you're most proud of as you kind of prepare to retire? That is a really hard question. Um, a lot of things, as you said, in a lot of different seasons, I think the thing that I am the most proud of and I'll think about the most when I retire, because I'll probably have time to think then, (laughs) um, is when I was at Pace, we had this amazing staff team Mm. that was so incredibly close and all rowing in the same direction and cared deeply about the mission, but cared deeply about each other. Yes. And and we had this culture there that I that when I left there and I knew it was time to go and you just know when it's mm-hmm. time to move on to the next adventure, I thought I'll never have this again, but thank heaven I had it, you know, um, because so many people go through life and don't have a work relationship like that. Yes. But then I came to the foundation, and I will admit, in the beginning, you know, it's kind of it was a little bit of a great landing, you know, in the in the wrong airport. Um, <laughs> it was so different, yeah. and and it wasn't the team that I had mm-hmm. helped to build, and um, I was learning so much, and it was just it was 
and, and like I said, it wasn't direct service. You didn't have that same that same joy every day. Um, but over time, you know, we've built this team there yeah. that has been incredible. And so I've had that twice. Mm. And it's just the most amazing experience when you really enjoy going to work every day and you love to be with the people that you're with yes. because you're at work more than you're at home. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's the truth. Even with hybrid work, I mean, you're still with the people you work with more than you're with your family. And, and so it's important to me that there's a culture where people yes. can be happy um, and that people can be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like I've been blessed with – 35 years of my career have been in those types of environments mm-hmm. and how lucky am I? Yes. And so I think that's the thing I'm the proudest of mm-hmm. and the thing that I will take with me, you know, very, very strongly as I leave. Well, no, thank you for that. And um, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, now I may will be six years um, that I've been back at JPEF. I can't believe it. Like, it feels like it has flown by. But, you know, just that opportunity to to build your team and invest in your people, um, it's, it's a deep honor. And to try to create that culture in which people feel like um, this is a place I want to be. I'm thriving. You know, I'm happy. I know that, you know, my organization, you know, sees me as a critical part of the work family. Mm-hmm. Um, and the work so, is meaningful. Yes. You know, you're providing a meaningful experience yes. every day. And everybody's bringing their best mm-hmm. self. And and we know we're having an impact together. Yeah, it's really important that everybody feels feels a place in that. Well, I want to thank you. I will say that one thing that has made retirement easier is knowing that there are people like you and like the team at the Community Foundation and the bright stars on your team that are there ready. You know, I think one leader told me um, several years ago, you know, it's not um, you shouldn't be worried, Nina, because really we're just waiting for you all to get out of the way. <laughs> and, so, and so I'm getting out of the way. Oh. And I feel really good about it because we are in such good hands you. with you and with others. And it's been such a joy to get to know you and to Same watch here. you grow in this role. And you are so the right leader at the right time. And I just can't Thank wait you. to watch from afar as you continue to, to make this community a better place for all. So thank you. Thank you, Nina. That means the world of me coming from you, and you're amazing. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Giving Forward podcast from the Community Foundation for Northeast Florida. Special thanks to Nina Waters and all our guests for joining us, and to Mark Walker for the studio space at the Jesse Ball DuPont Center. Be sure to visit our all-new website, jaxcf.org, and sign up for email updates to find out how you can be part of building a better community. Music